previously on Brew Roots. Got into home brewing, and then a friend of mine hired me only because I pestered him. And if you ever interviewed him, I'm sure he'll tell the story probably a little different. <laughs> <laughs> I was riding a motorcycle at the time, that's all I had. <laughs> so, my year-round transportation for a while. <laughs> started like a lot of brewers, I think, especially brewers from about the time period when I started, where was a lot of home brewing um, type, so I definitely had a homebrew influence in my, my background. Hey, I'm Matt. And I'm Allie, and you're listening to Brew Roots. We take a behind-the-scenes look at the roots of your favorite local breweries and the stories behind them. I'm homebrewing like a madman, and building homebrew equipment for people on the side. It was fun, and I decided, well, I should try this professionally. Now on to the episode. Cheers. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to part one, and now you guys are tuning in to part two. Um, we're really excited to be releasing this journey with you guys. Um, a big shout out to Smutty Nose for being the first guest on our podcast, if you will. Uh, they were super, super, super hospitable, so I would suggest you guys go out, check out Smutty Nose. Um, they have a pretty big distribution, so if you're listening all around the country... Try to grab your, get your hands on some Smutty Nose because uh, not only is it made local and it's made with care, um, it's freaking delicious. It's just really good beer. Um, before we get into the episode, I just want to do some shameless plugs real quick. So please, if you like this podcast, share it, comment, tweet it. I don't care. Just please try to get this out here. Um, we do this for fun and we, we, uh, we want to tell the stories of the people behind the scenes. And that's going to really bring more cool stories to you guys um other than that uh check out our website brewroots.com send us a tweet at brewroots uh i don't know tag us on instagram whatever the kids are doing these days uh but without further ado please uh enjoy part two of episode one uh featuring steve schmidt from smutty nose we also get a, a little cameo from doug who is a super good friend so cheers I have to say it's always been weird not to, because I'm perfectly suited for it. I, I don't. I'm pretty happy with where I am with this. It's they're good people, so I just want to elevate us to the next level. So that's awesome because I was actually going to ask about that because like it did sound like you you helped start a lot of the breweries that you've worked for. So I was going to say you know it seems kind of different that you came here and you mm-hmm. started working for something that had already been started, but it's cool that you brought. All of your different experiences and it worked well with um, Peter's you know vision of I think so yeah I think so and, and I think Peter and I see very much eye-to-eye in a lot of subjects mm-hmm. and then I think that's really made it uh, a good fit I, I hope he feels the same uh, I, I've never heard I think Peter would be very straightforward with me if he didn't <laughs> feel that way so I think we work really well together and, uh, and that's that's great and he's a, he's a great guy so and it it's nice to be able to make great beer with I have freedom to do whatever I want really Um, when that being said I have a tendency to like beer that is 
how do I put it, highly technical to make. Yeah. I appreciate beer that really requires a, a, a lot of knowledge as a brewer to, to get that right flavor profile and the bright balance and the little tweaking and all. That's something I really appreciate. So I tend to, I have a great appreciation for lagers. I'm a bit of a logger head, have been since, like I said, a home brewer. Um, because of the skill required to brew good, good lagers consistently is not as easy as it seems. Mm -hmm. uh, no disrespect to the big brewers because, in all honesty, they know how to do it better than anybody else. And a lot of smaller brewers need to turn off the bias, learn what these guys know, and then apply it to their beer. Because there's a lot of wealth and a lot of knowledge there that can be applied to your own beer instead of just poo-pooing them listen and pay attention and then apply that knowledge to your beer and that's kind of the way i approached it right out of the gate because uc davis uh, a lot of the people that go to school particularly when i was going to school there they were going to end up at a big brewery like a &B, first yeah you're gonna you were gonna be at anheuser bush was a big recruiter out of the program but any of the big brewers um were worldwide would those were most of the people you were going to end up in a, in a larger brewery because you needed to know all those facets of the brewing operation to be able to handle a brewery that's producing millions of barrels a year. It, it's not an easy job, and there's a lot you have to worry about. Yeah. So it's, that was fairly normal. And then you come into, and here I went right into a brew pub, which it couldn't have been more fun. <laughs> yeah. you know, what a beautiful time to, to be, you know, getting my feet wet in the brewery and be able to just have complete freedom. Uh, that was just awesome. <laughs> it's very good. It's kind of, I, I look at, from what I'm gathering, it's kind of like, you're the, the kid who's like, here's an, a blank check. <laughs> you can do whatever you want, and I trust you completely, you know, and that's kind of what yeah. Peter's kind of allowed Absolutely. you to do. Absolutely. Peter, and, and I think he understands that I, I understand that beer is business. Yeah. And I don't want to do anything that's going to jeopardize the business. So I do use practical sense when I do it. But he knows that one of my biggest things is you know improving beer quality. Because beer quality is something that I feel sometimes gets kind of shunted to the side a little bit or, or mis, misrepresented. And, and it's, it's really difficult to really up your game in beer quality. Not only is it expensive, it's very time consuming. And both of those things, a lot of breweries aren't set up to do it. I mean, even us, I mean, I would love to dump a million bucks right now into our, our lab and build a whole new lab. And there's all kinds of stuff I would love. And the equipment that I'd like to have in it, it'd be just awesome. I don't have a million dollars to do that. Yeah, right. I mean, there, there's, if I did, I would love it. But you know, I don't. So the other side of this, I have to make do with what we have. And, but continue to improve and continue to make the highest quality beer we can. Which is, I hope most brewers think of it that way. Because honestly, we were, we're making a product that you want people to enjoy and continue enjoying, and you don't want them going to other things. You know, I want you to want beer. I don't want you to want, want uh, wine, I, even though I do love bourbon. Um, <laughs> I do like bourbon. Uh, but I, I want people to still have beer with their bourbon. <laughs> Can you talk about your relationship with Charlie Ireland, who's sure. the uh, 
head brewer at Smut Labs. Yeah, well, Charlie... And how you guys kind of... Sorry, not to yeah. interrupt, but how you guys kind of work hand-in-hand, hand, you know, your overall big picture is what mm-hmm. I'm gathering. And he's coming up with these oh, crazy yeah. concoctions. And yep. Do you ever have to, you know, say, hey, that's crazy, we're not going to do this? Or does he ever have to say to you, or is it kind no. of just like... No, I think Charlie and I work really well together. Uh, I love Charlie's free thinking in brewing. It's great. And I bring a technical side to it that we can have a conversation about something and, and he'll come up with an idea and I can sometimes be helpful in how we actually make it happen. Um, and then there's times he comes up with stuff that I'm like, whoa, I never even, wow, okay. Oh, really? Um, and I don't want to say some of them because he's got a couple ideas that I, I, he still hasn't done that we've talked about and they were kind of like tongue in cheek and funny. But it's the challenge of to do a few of them. It, it's going to be work, and it's going to sound crazy. But if we can make it work and it and it tastes good, man, it's going to be cool. It'll yeah. be fun, yeah. yeah. And so working with Charlie's great, and, and he's a master of some stuff that that I'm not good at. I'll be honest. He knows how to run a barrel program quite well. His barrel knowledge is awesome. Um, he's he's really good at playing with the Brett. I mean, he really knows Brett. I'm. Yeah, I have, I, yeah it's, right now. it's yeah. a great, great beer. I love that beer. And, and I love that aspect because I'm such a purist in some of my beer thoughts. Or I've changed. I've really changed that, especially since I brewed in Belgium. So I kind of, that was very eye-opening. So, and great. Um, and and that, that helped me to kind of accept that it's okay to have non-pure cultures in your beer. <laughs> yeah, this is acceptable. As long as it tastes good and you can consistently do it, then that is a whole new uh, skill set that some brewers are masterful at. So. I, guess, I guess in the vein of making something taste good, uh, and again, not in the same vein, but Doug and I were talking about earlier um, IPAs, mm. for example. You sure. guys have Finest Kind, and you have the Rye IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, Rumor has that you guys hatchling, are, yeah. yeah. And rumor has that you guys are making a lower percentage IPA so the, for the summer, which is hatchling. They're just hatchling, <laughs> yes. So, although that was the test batch, right? But yep. I'll be honest with you, I've made zero changes. It came out exactly how I wanted it, yep. which that doesn't happen very often when you do a test batch. And we had a full scale test batch. I mean, we made seventy barrels of this. And just here it is. And that, it came out exactly how I wanted it to. And I think everybody here in brewing staff and has really enjoys it too. So that's going to be our summer IPA. So it's kind of a preview for anybody. Yeah. Now, you, you heard it here. <laughs> did you guys do that within the mind of, you know, Doug was mentioning, you know, the lower percentage IPA is going to be more marketable to the average beer drinker than Yeah, I, I think 7%. so. Yeah. I think so, and, and there's definitely, a, I have, I learned a lot, and I also developed a real appreciation for lower alcohol beers while living in Britain, mm-hmm. because it's it's their tradition, and it's, it's partially law-driven in the way the taxes work over there, but it's there's some real practicality to it. I, if you have a pub culture like Britain, then it really makes sense to have beers that aren't super high in alcohol if you're going to have four when you catch up with your, your mates at the pub after work. Mm-hmm. You don't want beer that's 7% alcohol because you're never going to make it home. 
and, and you're going to have a problem. So it, that culture is kind of great, but talk about some really flavorful beers. Yeah. No offense to American brewers that try to make lower alcohol beer. They need to pay attention because I've had a lot of watery, not so great lower alcohol beers in my day that made over here that I'm like, that doesn't qualify as a sessionable beer to me. That qualifies as a low alcohol attempt. It's not a real, you, you, sessionable means you wanna drink a lot more of it because it's just good. It's very drinkable and it's, it hits the right marks. That's, that's sessionable, it's not just an alcohol level. And I think, I mean, from my perspective, Finest Kind and Rye, I mean, Finest Kind was one of the first IPAs in New England, mm-hmm. period. So that's, stands on its own. Rye IPAs, or, you know, it's a rye-based IPA, which is a whole different ball game. And I think for me, <laughs> speaking of hatchling, I think, yeah. <laughs> I think for me, I mean, you know, in a world of cloudy and high ABV and a 9.5% double IPAs that don't necessarily measure up to that ABV billing, it's it's really great that there's a that we you know we've got this beer that's not only packs the punch of an IPA but doesn't like put you on the floor doing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. is, yeah and, and this is you know this one's going to be mid fives. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's not to say it's it's it's, it's a session yeah, by yeah. any chance yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. But as IPAs go, it's one of the more drinkable, crushable, and not going to you know put you you're not not going to give you the tap out. Not going to um, knock you on your ass. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It's exactly right. Yeah. And 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 I think that's important. That, Sure. Yeah, I think it's really important because, you know, I do like to have more than one beer, two beers after work. Sometimes I want four. And I want to make sure I can, A, drive a car yep. uh, <laughs> legally. And and I also want to make sure that I'm, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, a critical thing for, I don't want all beers that way. I do like some big beers. I definitely do. I love many different beers. But I think that's really important. Yeah, I agree. So this beer, just to give you a little background on this one, one of the things I think is really important is you need flavor. So I didn't want this beer to be, I didn't want it to be IPA light. Okay. Yeah, I want it to be, if you didn't know it was in the mid fives and alcohol, you'd still go, oh yeah, that's, uh, that's a proper IPA. And I, that's what, I don't want you to care about that volume number other than, oh wow, if you didn't know, you would go, oh, yeah, that's probably bigger than it seems. It, it's, the point is it doesn't have all the alcohol, but it's got all the flavor. Mm. And the body. I think body's important. Can you talk about the process that went into it? Yeah, sure. Uh, the, one of the reasons we're using for it to get that flavor. Sure. Well, we so I did very much what a lot of people do today, but I'll be truthful, I've been doing this kind of stuff since I started in my brew pub years. Um, what all this hop bursting and late hopping and all that, and all the whirlpool. Yeah, I was doing that in the 90s. <laughs> uh, I, okay. Don't tell Sam Adams you were doing that. Uh, <laughs> that's a different discussion. That's a different podcast. <laughs> and, and, and it's not. And, and, and lots of other people were doing it too. So it's not, it's not some new revolutionary thing. It's just that I think the taste of the consumer has changed where that's what they want more than before. I mean, people would drink my, what at the time I called purgatory pale at um, Empire. And I can't tell you how many people were like, holy God, whoa, that, whoa, that, where's all the, that's so bitter and so hoppy and oh my God. Um, and, and now people would be like, yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, it's got some hops. You know, but, but it's just, it's just. I think I tasted hops in there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got a little bit of hops, but at the time it was way hoppier. I mean, it made Sierra Nevada seem like kid stuff, and, and which, by the way, is my desert island beer. So, if there was no beer left in the world and I had to choose one, it would be a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. <laughs> really? Yep. Cool. Because it it's just fits the bill on so many levels. It's it's drinkable. It's got plenty of flavor, but not too much. You can pair it with many different foods, and it's the most consistently high-quality beer made out there, personally. Cool. Shout out to Spear. Yeah. 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 Hey, you know, they're great. They know what they're doing. They're great people. Um, honestly, if, if you're hiring, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. That was a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> no, no, no. I, no, I, I, no, I love those guys. I, I really respect everything they do, and they were always one of the inspirational breweries for me throughout my whole career. I always kind of looked at them like, how are they doing it? You know, and it's like, oh man, they're doing it everything right. <laughs> and though they're having tough times, Sierra's having a tough time right now. I mean, I think to me and Allie, I think that you guys are doing everything right i honestly and that's not to like thank you that's not to to me like oh yeah you guys we hold you on this platform but you guys really infuse community you know your market and then you you penetrate that well and i really think that that's an attest to you guys have been around since 1994 and coming to the old guys you guys (laughs) but you've paid attention to you haven't ignored what beer drinkers want you've stayed humble and you've stayed true to what beer drinkers want and i think that you have a really good standby you know Oberon dog and which i mean it's it's amazing to me in this this time of everybody you know shift in uh, a craft beer drinkers palate to the to the you know very hoppy side um it always blows my mind that the old brown dog just ticks along (laughs) you know it's got its solid following and it always amazes me because that is not a hop-driven beer whatsoever, <laughs> and it, you know, it has its following, which is great. We we make a fair bit of it. To be truthful, it's actually my favorite beer. Oh really? So, yeah. You know, hey. Everywhere really I go, I'm like I love the old red awesome. dog. So, <laughs> I was waiting for that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so to me, I feel like anytime you have a vocal community, mm-hmm. it's it's perception that that is what people are wanting. But I bet you there are more people who drink Old Brown Dog than someone who drinks Finest Kind because the people who drink that might be a little bit more Please, might yeah. be a little bit more vocal. They might say, Oh, I, I enjoy a very hoppy beer, you know, and, and more in your true. Face. Mm-hmm. That is true. I mean even now I'm I'm gonna mess this up a little bit, but I'm pretty sure the craft beer market is like maybe eleven percent? Is it eleven or twelve percent of the total beer overall share? Yeah. I think it's 11. That's what the last VA calls it. Right. I, I knew it was in that yeah. range. I, mean, I remember when it was, you know, we were like, like three. Yeah. Right? I was like, and everybody, they were talking oh, like, God. we're going we're gonna to try to, our goal is to make five. And, and you're the nadir of beer. It's, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's so, so interesting. But, but, that's a dater. But putting that in, yeah. You say Bernie. But you put that in perspective. We're still, it's only 11% of the whole. So that means... 89% of the beer being consumed out there is pretty run of the the mill far as flavor profile goes. And I don't mean to slight them because like I just gave them lots of compliments to the big brewers for what they do. And I have great appreciation for what they do. But really, the, it's non-flavor challenging beer. 
right? I mean, there's there's other brewers that have some more colorful ways of describing that. I I just it's and I will be the first yeah. to say, uh, you know, on a hot summer day, you will find Miller High Life in my refrigerator. <laughs> it's so it's, it's, so, it's so funny you mentioned that. Doug and I kind of have this moment where we call it called it a peanut butter and jelly beer. Yeah. And for me, like that's like twisted tea. Like it's yep. just you know one of those beers that one of the things we talked about is you know when I was working when I was working at Brewery Omega, um, my friends and I we would go for the cheap beers, the twisted teas, the Coronas, and it's mm-hmm. everybody why? Because we're surrounded by you know grade A prime rib twenty four hours a yeah. day. Maybe mm-hmm. we want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, <laughs> right? Yeah. No, yeah, that's good. It, yeah, I mean. There's a time and place for most beers. Yeah. yeah. And I think to your point, Steve, I think the consistency and the quality that goes into the big breweries, the big breweries, that's, I mean, that's, you're talking about millions of gallons and, and millions of barrels. And that's, that in and of itself is a skill to consistently oh, yeah. replicate that day in and day out. And that's, you will never take anything away from I think what we do here, which is, you know, the consistency, but we also have a little bit of innovation and, and, oh, yeah. and yeah. creativity that the, 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 the you know, the Anheuser-Busch is the, the most important, yeah. that they're not going to have that same flexibility that we have here. We're lucky enough that we actually have that flexibility and that same consistency and drive that, yeah. you know, kind of defies, well, and, defies and, them. And we, in my opinion, okay, think, I think, as a brewery goes, we're really fortunate we have this nice production brewery with a nice automated brew house and we've got a really beautiful bottle line um, that just does such a good job of keeping the dissolved oxygen down in bottles which is you know a, a really critical thing to, to help make the shelf life and and keeping your beer from getting staling flavors and all that and it's it's a really important part and it costs a lot of money to have a, a line like that but it's valuable and it helps but then we've got Mutt labs which is fun. Charlie can do so many interesting things over there, and he does, mm-hmm. and he's very innovative, and he really has you know fun doing that kind of stuff. And then the the guy who gets needs more credit would be Matt Gallagher, our brewer at Portsmouth Brewery. Matt is on; he's constantly creating new stuff, and some of his stuff we I'm now looking to. Potentially say, hey Matt, let's maybe we'll bring that one over to the big brewery, um, which isn't as easy as it sounds, by the way. There's a quite a big difference between brewing. Every brew house has its own little idiosyncrasies. Every little brew house, you could take the same recipe and just go, well, it's, it, I'm going from a 10 barrel to a 100 barrel, so I just multiply everything by 10, right? Mm-mm, that's not how it's going to work. The beer is <laughs> not going to taste the same. Sounds great, ain't going to happen. Um, so It'd be you, nice if it was that easy. If it was that easy, it would be great. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's not. So it's it definitely doesn't work that way. And, and that's that's going to be a challenge if we decide to do some of those beers. And I think we will. Honestly, I've been I always love going down and trying Matt's beers. Not just because I'm trying to over you know I want to check in on Matt. It, it, I trust Matt completely. But I do like to know what he's doing. I like to know how they taste. And we have conversations. You know, that's. We'll, we'll talk about this, and I'll be like, well, you know, well, we may try this next time, or well, have you ever thought about doing this? Um, let's have a conversation about, uh, I don't know, we had a conversation the other day about how different ways you can set up the chilling systems for cooling your work. Matt's not an engineer, 
I'm an engineering geek. So, you know, I went up and on the little blackboard down there that's right next to our, in the Lapanza Lounge, and I just started drawing all this stuff all on it, and I realized, oh my God, I'm like being my teacher in college. I, I'm just, and, and I was just whipping stuff around the on it. has become the master. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, this is terrible. I'm like, oh my gosh, I see myself right now. And, and then, I was like, oh, we got to wipe this off. And Matt's like, no way, because Charlie was there too. He goes, no, leave that. People are not going to understand what in the world you put on that board. They're just going to go, what is that? It looks like some crazy hieroglyphics you did up there. Yeah. Uh, so it's fun. Allie, do you have any other questions before we get into the, the fun game? Oh. oh. <laughs> um, You're going to like it. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm nervous. I mean, I guess I just have one question. Like, um, What sort of like inspired you to do this? Because I know it's, mm. it sounds like you had like a lot of uncles that kind of, um, yeah. you know, you had an uncle that owned the, what was it, the pub? Or, yeah. And yeah. then, you know. So is that is that what inspired you, or did you just happen to fall upon it, like, just accidentally? Um. Well, once I got over that initial bitterness at 13, <laughs> um, I actually enjoyed beer. Uh, not not as a, a knowledgeable, more sophisticated drinker, obviously, until in college sometime when I started wanting to, to understand these beers, truthfully. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a big change in my beer consumption and, and, and not so much in volume, but just what I was wanted to drink mm -hmm. uh, that was my change to flavor and really focusing on what makes beer flavor right right yeah. and learning the process behind it because I've always been the kid that if the alarm clock stopped working I took it apart and tried to make it work again you know yeah. so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so many so, times I was yelled at <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah, so, yeah. so beer just was that same thing for me and and uh I think it's just the challenge of it, and, and yet it's something that you can enjoy. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's one of the best social lubricants of all time. Absolutely. Right, right. So it's it, it's wonderful. It's mm -hmm. food in its own right. Literally, yeah, there's literally one for every single person on the planet. Yeah. We yeah. were talking about that earlier. There's a style yeah. for literally everybody mm -hmm. on the planet. All right, so we're gonna get into the the fun part. Not that this wasn't fun, but yeah, uh, that was fun. I like I like word association. So, oh. so to me, I, I'm gonna say a phrase, and the first thing that comes to your mind, and Allie can go back and forth. Um, I, added, I added a couple to our list as the interview went on. Um, so I'm gonna just start right off the the bat. Uh, Peter Eggleson. Oh, teacher. Yeah, and honestly, if you ever get a chance to have Peter speak, yes. he's a wonderful speaker. Yes. He really is a wonderful speaker. And we have meetings in the same room that we're in right now uh, for op operations meetings and stuff. And that's his blackboard. No, that's his dry erase board. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, I think he's most comfortable when he's up there doing and, and drawing lines and making you know the associations with stuff and and he's such a wonderful natural speaker he's just yeah. he's wonderful at all, it. All, yeah like all jests and jokes aside he is one of the most intelligent yes well-spoken and patient people i've ever had the pleasure of, of of working for i mean he you it's not just that he's a teacher you want to learn from him he makes you want to learn more about whatever because of just the way he is and just the right. way he is overall. Yeah. yeah. No, he's great. Uh, IPA. <laughs> Ooh, 
IPA. Uh, Careful. Yeah. <laughs> IPA is a weird one for me because remember I worked at Meantime Brewing. So Meantime Brewing, we made Meantime IPA. I have a soft spot for Meantime IPA, which it's a historical beer, and it's so different than almost all other beers being produced at our IPAs. The recipe was based on a, the original recipe from the Hodgson Brewery in England, which was just down, literally just down the river from Meantime's Brewery in Greenwich. A 150-year-old recipe. I grew to have an appreciation for those beers from not only making them and going through the effort of you know literally having to go out into the hop fields and choose with the growers what three rows I wanted to be for my hops <laughs> because there was so much hops in that beer. But you taste it and you go, really? Compared to some of the new ones today. But it's because of the hop variety. It's because of how it is. But the real aha moment for me was when we were moving from our old brewery to our new brewery and we found my Q QC um, manager Silas goes to me he goes oh Steve I just found a whole bunch of beer in the beer library that had gotten pushed in the back shelf and it's like three years old <laughs> um, and I'm like ooh that's a little out of code and uh, we're like okay well should we taste it and I'm like yeah and we tasted it and so now at this point I had been educating myself and getting known um, com comfortable with traditional bitters and things like this and I had the bitter, and I, I've had lots of pub bitters in England, and I had this IPA, which was three years old, and it tasted so much like a bitter, and then it all went click in my head, and I, I went, oh my God, this is actually what they intended when they made the IPA. They, want, they want, wanted it strong to be able to survive the journey. They wanted it hoppy because the hops were gonna be almost gone by the time it got to India. They wanted to drink bitter. Yeah. They didn't want an IPA. They wanted bitter, but there's no way bitter would have survived that journey and tasted anything like a bitter. So this beer, after three years of sitting on a shelf, didn't taste like a big hoppy IPA. It tasted like a standard bitter with five, you know, seven and a half percent alcohol. But it, even at that point, oh yeah, it was yeah. strong beer. Uh, and and and. It, but that was an aha moment for me. I was like, oh, I love this beer. Because fresh, it was all about the hops. But as it ages, so it's kind of an Armageddon beer for me. It's like this beer, like if I, you know, if the, if the, the, the zombie apocalypse happened tomorrow, um, I would make sure that I have 10 cases of that in my basement. <laughs> so. <laughs> Anheuser-Busch. Good people. Um, especially when I was starting my brewing career. Mark Sammartino was one of the most influential people in my career also. And he used to be the resident brewmaster at Baldwinsville AB. He was a wealth of knowledge and encouraging and opened his lab to me, my little stupid little brew pub in Syracuse, New York. And he allowed me to take all of my beer there and they fully tested it and gave me all the results uh, it was. I honestly learned so much from him and his and respect for him. He became the technical director. He just stepped down for the MBAA, uh, and he became a good friend. He opened his house to me, like you can come over and you know have we're having a barbecue this weekend. Why don't you come on over? You know, and, and, and just just a wonderful guy. 
Um, yeah, so Mark San Martino, that's AB for me. <laughs> yeah, um, Sours. Love them and hate them. Um, <laughs> a really well-made sour is something to, like, like this, uh, something to be completely just put on, you know, an iconic level. A sour that doesn't have the right flavor can be absolutely horrendous and should be used to remove rust from chrome. Um, I, I just, it, it's a style that, if you get it right, it's worldly and beautiful, and if you get it wrong, it's it's rust remover. Um, I've had both. <laughs> uh, you could decline to answer this next one, but Jim Conch. Cook? Cook, yeah, sorry. Uh, what would I say? Well, I can give you a memory. Yeah, I can give you, so I, I've met him a, a few times, but the most prominent memory for me is one year at the Great American Beer Fest, I was standing and we were in the award ceremony, and he was literally standing like right behind me to the left. So every time he spoke, he was like yelling in my ear. And and he's talking to his brewers, I think, or marketing people, whoever it was that was with him. And it, they, it was the Kolsch category. And so at Empire, I did a Kolsch beer. And they had done a Kolsch beer that year. And he- Sam Adams, that is. Sam Adams, yeah, right. And, and so I, we're coming up to it. And they always start with the bronze and then they do the silver and then they do the gold. And before, so as soon as they went to that category, they switched from the last one, and, and, and I hear him go, oh, we're going to kill this one. We're getting the gold for sure. And, and he's just like, just being, you know, very pompous about it. And, and I'm like, dude, I'm just going to be lucky if I get anything, you know? I'm just, I'd be the happiest guy in the world if I get anything. And just standing there, and I've got my brewers with me, and they're hearing this too, and they're just like, wow, you know, why is he being so, like, full of himself? And because it's a crapshoot. It's if you've got a lot of good beer at the Great American Beer Fest, and there's a lot of good beer that gets entered, it's there might be six awesome Kolsch's, and the top three, how do you judge? You know, it gets a little rough if there's that many good ones. So bronze, it's nor, it's not his, it's not mine. Silver, it's not his, it's not mine. I've already looking down the list, going, well, what's the next category we have a beer in? You know, <laughs> and and then they go gold. And it was our beer. Wow. And and yeah, yeah. That's and, what I wanted to hear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and I was like, oh my god! And and my assistant brewer was with me, and we we're just like over the moon. You know, we were just like, it's like, oh my god! And then we we're just so happy. And you know, you have to go up on stage and get your medal and all that, and you get to go shake your shake Charlie Papazian's hand, and and it was all cool, right? So we we get ready to go, and I turn around and I looked at him and I go. Sorry, next year. He shook his hand because he was just so pompous. so pompous about it. Which yeah. he's an, he's not a bad guy, but just the way he was talking about it was just kind of I thought a little irritating. I'll be honest. Mm -hmm. I was like, "Come on, man! We all have a good shot at it if you brought good beer." Mm -hmm. So, so hopefully this one hits more to home. Motorcycles. Oh, well, <laughs> how much time we got? <laughs> um, Let's get this in. I want your gut. Five second reaction to motorcycles. Uh, love them. Um, 
my life outside of beer revolves around motorcycles. Uh, I'm definitely a motorcycle fanatic. Mm. I mean, that's where I'm going this weekend. I'm going to go watch the best motorcycle racers in the <laughs> world. So that's that's what I'm doing. <laughs> cool. We don't want to. We want to respect your time. We have only a couple more questions, but if you weren't brewing beer, what would you be doing? Probably involved with racing motorcycles. <laughs> yeah, that's what I wanted. To hear. Or, or maybe maybe cars. One of the two. Uh, I am actually I love cars, but racing also. But yeah. Last one's for you, Ellie. What? All right, I'll ask. I mean, if you don't want to ask it, I'll ask it. Um, so the main premise of this is, you know, my hopes is someone's listening to this that was in a similar situation mm-hmm. to you at one point, and. Just, you know, might be afraid to jump to the next level of, you know, home brewing or yeah, or being a hobbyist. Uh, do you have any words of encouragement or any suggestions to someone who's a hobbyist that wants to take it to the next level? Read everything you can get your hands on about brewing, um, and and then go try to get a job in a brewery. I think home brewing is great, but it. Unfortunately, can only get you so far, and there's a big difference between home brewing and commercial brewing. And the technical knowledge is only good if you can apply it, which means you need to have a balance between empirical and hands-on and technical. That's the best, which and I think most trades would apply. I'm not saying anything revolutionary, but I think in brewing, there's so many things in brewing that you have to involve all your senses with and you have to be intimately involved you know working with to truly get it and you could read every book but if you didn't actually work in a brewery and deal with that on a day-to-day basis it's going to be nothing and vice versa you could work in a brewery and learn everything you can from the experience of working in the brewery but if you don't have the theory you're not going to have the aha moments Mm -hmm. on things like you will you need both so read everything and then go get a job in a brewery nice. and be ready to clean kegs and floors <laughs> and be a glorified janitor for a while. Mm-hmm. Don't think you're going to be the next mixologist uh, brewmaster taking over the world because that sounds great, but it's not the real world. Yeah. <laughs> other people who think just like that. Yep. And, and take it as a career. Don't take it as a hobby. Mm-hmm. My last question for you is, in beer, outside of beer, doesn't matter. What are you most proud of? My daughter. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what a good answer. <laughs> no, my daughter just had her 16th birthday um, yeah, two days ago. And she is one of the most, and of course, you know, every parent says this, right? So, but she has impressed me immensely with her ability to love all things of all skill levels. She's great at math, she's great at science, she's great at English, she's great at speaking other languages, she's great at all these things because she just lives life fully wanting to learn. So she loves learning and I think that's key to a good life. Yeah, I, have a quick, I have a quick anecdote on that. I've never, I need to make this clear, I've never met Steve's daughter. However, there was at the Funkin' Fromage Beer Social, we were, you, me, yeah. Matt and Charlie, we were all standing around having a beer and uh, he finishes up, and Matt says, "Hey, you gonna stay for another one?" And says, "Steve says, no, I got to, you know, I'm gonna go spend some time with my daughter." And Matt's like, "Oh, cool, are you guys gonna go out to dinner and see a movie?" Nope, we're gonna do math homework. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's only fitting we end the podcast, this interview, with uh, a cheers to Steve's daughter. Absolutely, ah, yeah. So, yeah. So.
to see his daughter. You'll appreciate that. Absolutely. Thanks for taking some time. I know you mm. probably want to get home and do mm. some math homework with her. But uh, I actually have to get her ready for make sure she's going to do it for because she's going with me to check out all these motorcycles. Oh, oh wow. Cool. So, awesome. Unfortunately, I'm passing that passion on to her. So. Very cool. <laughs> so uh, real quick, uh, this is for Doug. So Doug, where can we find Smutty Nose on the social medias and the uh, you can find Smutty Nose on the interwebs at uh, facebook.com slash Smutty Nose. You can find us at uh, instagram.com slash Smutty Nose and t- on Twitter as at Smutty Nose Beer. Cool. Uh, and uh, do you have any exciting events coming up in the future that we can get our listeners? Yeah, to? absolutely. So we've got uh, a, uh, a, a chef and beer brewer battle coming up on May 2nd. That's where uh, we pair up chefs and brewers from our brew pub and from our uh, large-scale facility here. Uh, with mystery ingredients and mystery ingredients used for the chefs for uh, random beer pairings. Um, we've got another one coming up in June. And, uh, you know, follow us on social media so you guys can keep up to date with all the latest.